Well, thanks, guys. One of the things I'm so thankful for about this place, this church, and I know you are too, is just the outstanding musicians we have to lead us in worship. It's not just the it's not just that they're they're good. It seems like if if we need something upbeat and celebratory, maybe a little lighthearted, they give it to us. If we need something heavy and somber, they they give that to us too. And it's just uh, I thank you all for 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 that. It's just a really special thing to have. Um, uh, so that song is a really special song. That's the song I'm going to talk about today. I'm, I'm preaching some of the carols of Christmas this year. And so what child is this, very special, because it asks a question, but the answer to the question, maybe really, well, it's really important, but is it a rhetorical question? It's not exactly a rhetorical question because the song is going to answer it. You know what a rhetorical question is, right? A rhetorical question is a question I ask, but I don't really want the answer. I'm asking the question for, for impact. Like, what's the matter with you? That's a rhetorical question, right? You're not supposed to actually start listing things that are the matter with you. So maybe that's sort of what we're talking about here with this song. Uh, what child is this? We're about to answer the question. The song answers, immediately answers the question that the song itself asks. This, this is Christ the King. And if you were here last week, do you know what does Christ mean? Who remembers what Christ means if you were here last week? Yeah, Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew translation of the word Christ. Christ is a Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. What's the English word? Huh? Savior. Savior, right. So this, this is Savior King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Good review. Um, answering that question, what child is this? It's like, it's like when something amazing happens to you, you're almost too scared to believe it because you might wake up and find out that it was all a dream. What? Are you kidding me? How can this be? This just doesn't seem to make sense. The, uh, the power of this song comes from the fact that it, it started as a poem, and it was written by a poet. It wasn't written by a theologian, per se. In fact, the guy who wrote it, uh, William Chatterton Dix, was an English insurance salesman. He wrote insurance policies for boats. Yep, that's what he did. So, those of you who think that because you have this job or that job, you don't have a religious job, you're wrong. All jobs can be uh, religious. All jobs can be calling. Everything is spiritual. All right? God is sovereign over all these walks. So, whatever you're doing, I think that's biblical, actually, right? Whatever your, your hand seeks to do, do it with all of your might to the glory of God. So this guy was an insurance salesman, of all things, but he had a special passion for writing poetry. And after a near-death experience, his poetry became all very deeply faith-based. It was his prayers, it was his praise, all these things put to poems. In fact, 60-some of them still exist today in song form somewhere or another, or in a hymnal somewhere. 
but none of them are as popular as this one that he wrote initially uh, entitled The Manger Song, this now world-famous song, What Child Is This? As you read this song, as you sing this song, as you think about the words to this song, do you wonder like I do, who does Chatterton Dix have in mind as he's writing this poem? Who is he looking at the, the manger scene, if you will, through whose eyes? Through whose eyes? At first, is it the, the shepherds? The shepherds are maybe the most uh, dynamic characters in the Christmas story. They really ignite our imagination, thinking about those shepherds. And the angel choir that appeared to the shepherds over the field that night, is that whose eyes we're seeing? This It could be. It could be. Or maybe he's having us look at this through the eyes of the Magi. Is he look, having us look at these eyes? Through? The Magi are very mysterious people. The Bible doesn't say very much about them, but they're not Jewish. They come from another country. And they represent wealth and power because they come bringing gifts and they have certain knowledge. They were astrologers, which was kind of a, that was how, what science would have been seen as at this time. Astrology, look, studying the heavens, the stars at night. Talk about these magi for a second. Fascinating characters. They, through their study of the heavens, they determine that a new king has been born in Israel. A new king has been born in Israel. We don't know exactly, nobody knows what exactly the star is. You can Google it and read all kinds of different articles about what maybe it was, astronomical phenomenon or something. But these, these magic, it doesn't say in the Bible and it doesn't really matter. They saw something in the heavens that told them a king, a new king has been born. So what did they do? They, they, they got together and they left their country and they went to Israel because that's what you do. A new king has been born. This is a big deal. They go to Israel. Where do they go? Where, where are they going to go when they go to Israel? Despite you know, maybe mytho proper common mythology, they're not following a star day after day after day. The Bible just says that they saw the star that says a king. And so they came to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? What's well, the capital? Jerusalem is where the palace is. And so what do they do? It's just common sense. If a new king has been born, probably the whole town knows about it. They've probably got a separate little house or temple or, or, or shrine or something set up for this baby uh, and his mother. They're probably letting people, all the public is probably coming by just to look in the window and maybe put gifts down and, and, and well wishes and such. This is probably what they're expecting. So they go to the, the, the current king. They go to the palace and they say to the current king, Herod, where is he? Let us come and do what everybody else supposedly is doing. Worship him. Give him these gifts as adoration and everything like that. And he, Herod's like taken aback. To, to, to the wise men's surprise, Herod doesn't know what they're talking about. Herod was a very bad guy. He was an evil man. He was paranoid, a power-hungry man. He had killed his, uh, his, his favorite wife and sons. He had them killed because he thought that they were after some of his power. A really bad guy. And so when the Bible says that Herod, when he heard about this new king, he was terrified and all Jerusalem with him. 
Why is all Jerusalem terrified with the king? Because they've seen what this king will do when his power is threatened. And they, now here comes some foreign king saying, hey, we heard a new king was born. That is the last thing the people of Jerusalem wanted to hear. Set this guy off again? Oh my goodness, he's just calmed down for the first time in a few years. All Jeru- Herod and all Jerusalem with him are terrified at the news of this new king. Herod gets together the, the, well, the wise men, if you will, the, 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 the scribes of Israel, who, the people who knew the Old Testament scriptures. Come on, come on. Where is this king supposed to be born, guys? They study the scriptures. They say in Bethlehem. Okay, so this is what they tell these magi. In Bethlehem is where it's supposed to happen. So Herod sends the magi off. Go. And by the way, when you find him, if you find him, maybe he doesn't even really believe that it's true. If you find him, tell me where he is so I can worship him too. And off the magi go. Now, you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? About five miles. About five miles. If you were with us this spring or if you go there sometime, you can just see. You can almost see from the highest point of Jerusalem, you can almost see Bethlehem. This is also, think about this. Some weird things have been going on in recent times in Jerusalem. So the people are terrified because of what Herod might do. But also they know there's been some strange things going on. People are stressed. The, 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 remember the census that Caesar Augustus, the emperor, orders there be a census taken. So every man of a certain age has to go to his hometown to be counted and probably to be taxed. And so the, 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 the roads are packed, uh, donkey bumper to donkey bumper. This, this time is stressed. The, inns, the, the hotel infrastructure is stressed to the max. People then, if your people are going to their hometowns to get counted, what does that mean you don't have if you're a business owner? You don't have your employees because they're all gone now, right? So you think we have an employee crisis here in in America in 2022? Well, probably nothing compared to what was going on in Jerusalem at that time because everybody's up up and everybody's uh, uprooted and they're all all over the place. Not only that, but since since Bethlehem's only five miles now from Jerusalem. People here tell about what happened a few days or weeks or, or, or even a month or so before this wise magi visit. What? Lights in the night sky, voices of singing, like a, a huge crowd of singing. You and I, we see at nighttime, on a, you, can look up, you can look south from here and you can see the light pollution coming up from, from Fort Wayne. That didn't exist back then. They didn't have any cities or light structures like that at night. So if something like this angel choir appearing to the shepherds really did happen, and it did, then other people are talking about it. They don't know what the heck it is, but stuff is just happening. And now these kings, these they weren't really kings, these royal-esque rich people, okay, let's say rich people, from another country come to pay homage to our new king who nobody told us we have a new king. You see where we're going? And then, then the Magi, okay, we'll go to Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem and they start asking. I mean, there's a star in the sky, but they start asking, where, where is this king? Where's he been born? And they find that they've been directed to a house. And they go to a house. And there they find a baby. What is this? There's no, 
I mean, shepherds are here to see him, I guess. Some local family members. It's supposed to be a king. We're here to look at these gifts that we have. It's supposed to be a king, right? What child is this? What child is this? But they're told. Mary and Joseph know who the child is because they've been told, don't they? They're told who this is. This is Savior King. So yes, bring him gold, incense, myrrh, these expensive perfumes and gifts that are meant for royalty. Yes, Magi. Yes, you maybe never seen a king like this before, but you are in the right spot. Give him these gifts that he deserves and worship him. And you know what? To the Magi's credit, they do. Despite this being maybe the most confusing thing, this is not what they expected. And nobody would have blamed them for saying, forget about it. This, we must have been wrong. But they don't. They don't. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, they worship him. Foreigners, non-Israelites, worship this king of the Jews, knowing that he is going to be the king of the whole universe. There's another character in the story. There's another character in the story. Maybe Dix has this person in mind when he writes his poem. What child is this? I'm a little partial to thinking about Joseph, St. Joseph, Mary's husband. Because I have four little girls, some of them not so little anymore. Could it be that he wants you to read this poem through the eyes of Jesus' earthly dad. Do you remember what the angel says to Joseph? We have two different stories about Christmas, Matthew's story and Luke's story. Those are the only two Gospels that tell us about Jesus' birth. And they tell us different parts of the story. Luke tells us all about Mary, Elizabeth, the shepherds. Matthew tells us about Joseph, the Magi, and King Herod's slaughter of the children. Matthew tells us about Joseph. He says this, the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 20, and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This, to me, this makes a lot of sense out of that line in verse 2 from Dix's poem. Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Good Christian fear or respect or pay attention. You're the good Christian they're talking about, right? Fear or respect or pay attention. The silent word of God is here pleading for sinners. Joseph knew. 
The Magi probably didn't have this concept of this king forgiving people of sin. Not yet. But Joseph had been told he was going to be a king and he was going to save his people, not from the Romans or the Babylonians or from all of their troubles on earth, but he was going to save their people from their sin. The word of God. That's such a cool line. The silent word of God is pleading. It's such a cool line. This baby is the word, capital W, of God. That means he's the essence of God. He's the revealing of God. He's the very substance of God, even though he's a baby. He can't speak. Yet even now, lying here, just his presence on earth speaks volumes. Emmanuel, I know you remember what that means. God is with us. What must Joseph had been thinking? How is this baby going to save people from sins? It's a mystery. It's a wonder. Joseph doesn't know all the answers yet. But he believes. I've seen too much. Mary, it's got to be true. So yes, yes, Magi, bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasants, you shepherds, and come, kings, adore him. I don't get it, but I am amazed by this kid. Do you have this sentiment when it comes to Jesus at Christmas time? Do you have this sentiment that Joseph most surely had? And the wise men did too. I don't get it, but I am amazed at this child and what God has done. See, there are some caricatures that exist in some of our churches. Heavens, no, not at St. Andrew church. But at some of our churches, there are some Christian caricatures. You know what a caricature is? I have some characters here on the screen behind me. A caricature is a drawing or a picture that kind of looks like the real person, but it's almost cartoonish. It's exaggerated. It's overblown. One aspect is overblown at the expense of the others. There are some Christian caricatures out there in your notes page. I'll have you jot down a few, and then I'll have you just think about this as throughout the day, maybe, or the week, is ask yourself, am I tempted toward one or more of these caricatures of a Christian? Am I tempted toward one or more of these caricatures of the Christian? The first that I, I want you to think about is the caricature of a Christian that says, I get it, but I'm not all that amazed. I get it, but I'm not all that amazed. I understand, in my head, right? Jesus died for my sins, but whatever it is, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't understand I'm not so bad. Maybe my sins weren't so big a deal. Maybe it didn't really hurt for him to die. Maybe it really wasn't that big a deal for him. For whatever, or maybe I just heard these words for too long. They just don't impact me anymore. So yeah, I know it. 
But I'm just not all that amazed at the story. The other caricature, I get it. I'm sure you don't, or you probably don't. And so let me tell you, and I'm going to tell you all the answers to all the questions. And I'm going to tell you exactly what that star was. Sure, I know what that star was. Surround me in the first century star. Sure, it was this phenomenon. Or you see, there really weren't three magi. You know, there's just three gifts. But uh, of course, yeah, okay. I got all the answers. I got all the answers, and you probably don't. So it's my job to tell you. But here again, kind of fits under the category of the first one too, doesn't it? Because this person also never gets around to being amazed. Even if she's completely right with what she's talking about. She's just not getting around to being amazed at the truth of what she's talking about. I think that's the study of theology can do that for us. The study of the Bible even can do that for us sometimes, you know? Sometimes, sometimes the study of the Bible is a very effective, it can insulate us from the message of the Bible if we're not careful. Does that make sense? The study of the Bible can insulate us from the message of the Bible if the Bible becomes like an academic book. Does that make sense? Studying the Bible, getting your apologetics down, as we're talking about in Sunday school right now. It's not so that you can be right. It's so that the message, that truth, can really rock you, amaze you. It should never, ever stop amazing you. The third caricature. The third caricature is, is I, I don't get it and I don't care. There are people at church who really don't care. They're, maybe they like the cookies, the coffee, your smiling faces because you're all such really nice people. I mean, who wouldn't want to be around you all? I would. But this whole, yeah, they, they, these people, yeah, they seem to really care about this Bible and stuff. But you know what? I'm not really interested. But, I'm just, but I'll hang out. I'll stick around. It's possible to be, to fit into one of these caricatures. I really don't want that for you and for me. I don't want that for my friends, for my family. For my friends, for my family, for me, for, for everybody, really, what I want is for you to fit into that fourth category, like these magi and like Joseph, where you say, I don't get it, but I'm amazed. It doesn't mean there's, there's things to study, that's all, but at the end of the day, I'm never going to get this. Not fully. It's a mystery. It's an incredible miraculous thing we're Christmas God becoming a man to save us from our sins God wanting to be with me forever wanting it so badly that he would come to earth and die to make it possible 
It's, a, it's an incredible thing. I'm never going to get it, but you know what? I'm amazed. And like the Magi, yes, take my gifts, take my life, Lord. Like Joseph, I say to other people, yeah, yeah, he's the one. I know what it looks like, but he's not a normal kid. Worship him. Worship him. This is where I want you to live. How can this be? What child is this? You should feel this way. When you think about, okay, another one that maybe Presbyterians like to talk about, being chosen, right? The elect, if you know that language. We talk about God's elect. Why in the world did God choose me? That should always amaze you. It should never stop amazing you. Why did God choose me? I don't know, but he did. I don't get it, but I'm amazed. You see? If that's not the effect that, that God's having on you from week after week, worshiping in this place with this people, then, then I or we or you, we're doing something wrong. That's the effect that it should have. I don't get it, but I am amazed and I am sold out. I am all in. <laughs> 